Hello, friends and folks, and welcome back to another playlist podcast from Scanline Media. We have returned to you, to the people, to talk about what we've been playing. Uh, I'm Six Detmar. And I'm Jennifer Uncle. And I'm Kyrie Page. And uh, it's, 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 it tis the season for games. Uh, let's see, what released today? Uh, the answer is nothing, but we're going to go ahead and uh, game releases today. There were some games right. that released this week. Like, uh... Who's excited for The Survivalists? Uh, you know, I'm so hyped for The Survivalists. Is it like a spinoff of The Mentalist? or? No, it's a, it's a spinoff of The Escapists. Oh, okay. But they're surviving. Uh, it says... Explore, build, craft, and even train monkeys. Oh, that sounds that's hilarious. That sounds Man, you know what? I love 2003. <laughs> A Space Odyssey. Uh, yeah, we're here to talk about games. We're here to talk about what we've been playing. Um, and, gosh, folks, I want to open by talking to Kyrie. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Okay. What have you been playing? Oh. Um, so <laughs> I have been so I uh got on a kick and I have I've been playing Hades on the Switch. Thought this would be the answer. This yeah. is this is this is mm. see that what you really do is you do a like a, a seg like a masterful setup and then you explain you see this was a setup. <laughs> <laughs> a setup for us to talk about Hades. Hades and uh and the state of the roguelike, yes. Yeah. So yeah, I have been playing Hades quite a bit. Uh on, like I said, I've been playing it on Switch and I know it's been primarily thought of as a PC game, um, because while it's been on PC for the better part of a year or longer than that, um I don't remember the bait I remember uh, there was a stream, Jen, you and I did, where we played Hades when it was still in early access on New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. 2018. And we rung in the new year by trying to defeat Megara. Because um, even in that early stage of the game, she was in it. Um, but, yeah, I've been playing Hades, and I like it a lot. I have been, and it got me to um, download Supergiant's other games, which I can talk about later. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been primarily spending my time with Hades. And the thing that I really like about Hades is that... So the problem with roguelikes is that death is just so punitive, and you never really get anything out of it. Here, it's like, death is almost its own reward in a weird way, because it unlocks more parts of the story and more character interactions. Um, mm. Like, every time I do a run, I'm always like, the end of the run, it doesn't always, like, it's not so bad. Like, in Hades, dying isn't so bad. <laughs> because you get um, just fun moments of like you know hypnos usually has something pithy to say um 
and like I love Dusa quite a bit. She's probably one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, with her constantly being put upon, and also her very obvious crush on Prince Zagreus um, is very fun. But I guess it's one of those things where I like I'm not really into roguelikes all that much. But Hades has hooked me. Mm-hmm. Our 2019 game of the year, Hades. <laughs> Turns out, still a good game. Still a great game. And after my, like, af- like I'm going to come back and confirm this, but it's probably Supergiant's best game. Mm. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I have uh, I I have hit a point in Hades where I I'm I'm sure I will come back to it right now. I'm working on other stuff. I've put seventy three hours in, mm-hmm. um. So it's like you know, I I want to see the epilogue because there is an epilogue to the game. But like I've cleared the story. I've gotten I've done like there's there's a mechanic which I don't think you've reached yet for like after you've beaten the game and you do like sort of like like harder difficulty runs. Oh and yeah, I've done I'm, a number of those and up to difficulty a fair bit. Yeah, I'm not at that point yet. I have only gotten like I only recently defeated the Bone Hydra. Mm. Um so I'm still like the furthest I've gotten is the mid boss of the third area. I see. I see. Um was it the one with a portrait or was it just a randomly generated one? It was the the boss that got me was the a uh, ball that floats around with the soul sucking butterflies. Uh, okay, that 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 room's annoying. Yeah, because even to this day, that room's annoying. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you have to fight this bullet hell boss while like four or five other like really strong individual characters keep harassing you, and you got to kill them twice in order to um adv- to take them out. Like, once you kill them, their soul pops out and you gotta kill their soul. And all the while dodging all these butterflies that even if you have the boon that allows you to reflect projectiles, it doesn't reflect it back. Right. Which is partially, like, like, I rely on that boon on some encounters because, like, it's one of the better boons in the game to be able to pro- to reflect projectiles back because managing projectiles in that game can be a little hectic. Mm-hmm. But I'm still having a I'm having a really great time with it. Uh one just a just a just a tip from a from a Hades senpai here. Cool. Um in that particular room, the enemies spawn as souls. They aren't enemies like properly yet. Uh-huh. And though it's annoying, Honestly, the best strategy is to be patient and just take them out as they spawn and then get the occasional hit on the ball as you go and make sure that no other enemies ever actually properly spawn. I'll keep that in mind next time I run into that boss. It can be easier said than done, for sure, right? Right. Like, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine um, and and Jen's from a long time ago uh, who goes by the title uh, Frosted Mini Wheats um, and uh, was talking about, like, uh, the, the an area you haven't reached yet and where you have there are optional rooms and they were like why would I ever do those optional rooms I'm just going to take damage and I'm like yeah but then you're not going to have the power ups for the final boss and they're like well what's the solution and I'm like well don't get hit <laughs> I was like yeah. I'm sorry I know that's I'm not saying that to be flip 
that honestly is the solution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about the chaos rooms or are you talking about like no. something different? Because I'm talking about something you haven't seen. I see. Because I do like the concept of the chaos rooms where you sacrifice a portion of your health in order to get like a negative boon for or not a negative boon. That's a that's a oxymoron. Um Well, chaos is an oxymoron. Sure, why not? Uh, um, but you know what I mean like you take on mm-hmm. some sort of negative trait for a couple of encounters and then you get the positive trait uh, like a few rooms later and I, I'm just impressed by Supergiant's combat design because um, I've also been playing Bastion and mm. I can see like uh, by playing Bastion I can definitely see the like what would eventually become Hades excellent combat system is resting within Bastion. In fact, some of the weapons actually operate on some of the same principles. Like there's a bow weapon in Bastion that you draw back and your character flashes when the optimal um, timing is available, like for an optimal shot. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly how the, was it the bow of Hera or just the yeah. bows in general in Hades mm-hmm. work? Yeah. Koronacht. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think it is, I think it is really interesting to see sort of the heritage and also there's stuff like, I think a lot of the boon system, uh, harkens back to a lot of the experiments they did in, um, uh, transistor and how powers worked in that. Yeah, I can't wait to revisit Transistor, actually, because I remember really enjoying Transistor. Transistor's Transistor's an interesting one, because I feel like it is the game of theirs where I don't enjoy playing it, but I still, I, I think the, the writing and the narrative is really something special. Oh yeah, the story, like, I distinctly remember when I first played Transistor, um... I was living in Japan at the time, and my brother had gotten me a copy of Transistor on Steam, and my laptop couldn't run it, so I actually built a PC, like, out of, like, my funds, to, and the first game I tried was Transistor, and boy does that game look really good when, like, on a high-res display. Yeah, yeah, a lot of their work is very, very pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen, how much how have you been enjoying our game of the year? Um, and I'm not I'm not trying to set you up. I know that you've been you've been busy with other stuff mostly. Yeah, I I got back into it uh, earlier this week, um, and it took a little bit of getting back used to it. I need to get back through the Bone Hydra, but by my second life, I was already reaching that boss. So it's clearly a situation where I retained some of the skills I had from playing it last time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Like, after six was like, oh man, hypnosis is a lot better than you, uh, give them credit for. Um, I ended up giving one of the, what have you called the little the nectar? Oh yeah. The nectar. Ambrosia, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Ambrosia well, to it's nectar, nectar and ambrosia. Ne- ambrosia is the second tier. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I guess. Uh, some... Yeah. Sorry. I, I, sorry, I guess spoiler, because actually, now that you tell me where you are in the game, you probably haven't seen Ambrosia yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 
I gave some to Hypnos, and he was like, you know what? I'm actually glad you died this time. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Hypnos is a really fun character because I like that... I, I like when I die to a new enemy because, again, I get to hear, like, a pithy comment from Hypnos uh, mm-hmm. about, like, it's like, oh, you really should have dodged there. Anyway, see you around, Zagreus. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had a period um, where I was playing this game when it was still in early access, but they would add um, new pieces of unlockable content. Um, and... It, at the time, sometimes the best way to unlock something was just to, like, do a certain thing and then intentionally die so you could start over. Um, and there's no real consequence for doing that. And so I would have runs where I intentionally, like, I just stood in lava, right, in Asphodel and died. Um, and I would come back and Hypnos would be like, gosh, seems like you stood in lava again. You should probably not do that. <laughs> Hypnos is such a bitch. I love them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very entertaining game. And uh, I'm glad it seems to be doing well for Supergiant. And I'm definitely going to be picking up on Switch whenever they end up adding the cross saves to it. You see, I mm-hmm. went the opposite route. I wanted it on the Switch. And I'll pick it up on PC once, um, once cross saves get added. Because they had the delay cross saves for the 1.0 release, which is fine. Game development is hard, especially in 2020. Um, so I definitely look forward to like playing it on the PC. But it definitely is one of those games where it's to me one of the first games that made cross saves like make sense. Mm. Because most of the time, I think of like I never really was invested in a cross save. Like, I never really thought of a game worth investing that much time into, but now with Hades, is like, with so much to unlock and so much to do, I really wouldn't want to reset that progress and start all over again. So the idea of transferring your save between Metal Gear Solid games didn't appeal to you at all? What? <laughs> you know, transferring. Transferring. You know transferring. I'm a Big dummy, she's, yeah. pretend, she's pretending she doesn't know what transferring is. All you right, we'll to, play along with your bit, Kyrie. You have to understand, <laughs> I am an idiot. Uh, that was that was uh, that was cross save before cross save. Um, it was between, I believe, the PS was it PS3 and PSP. It was, no, PS3 it was PS3 and Vita. PS Vita. Um, and Kojima, since it didn't have a name yet, uh, he called it transferring. Because it's transferring, but you're transferring it far, (laughs) so it's transferring. (laughs) Um, But uh, one of the things I want to talk about stemming from this, you're talking about all the the things that feel so good about Hades, right? Uh Uh-huh. One of my most anticipated games of 2020 is actually set to be my biggest disappointment of 2020. Oh, no. Oh, you're... I know what game you're talking about. You're talking about... Spelunky 2. Spelunky 2. Spelunky 2 is, and like this this comparison, I okay, so first off, I think Spelunky 2 is a very well-made game. And I want people to understand that when I make this comparison, I don't mean it as an insult, but I think it is a very apt comparison. Spelunky 2 is Mario Sunshine. Interesting. Go on. So... Mario Sunshine, obviously the sequel to Mario 64, 
beloved game and it was like okay how do we add on to this and it's like first off let's develop all these new systems and then when it comes down to it i think uh i i i hope that spelunky 2 didn't have the problem of being rushed which was part of mario sunshine's problem right mm-hmm. um I, I i hope derek you felt like he had the time and you know the, the people that helped to make that game felt like they had the time to make the game what they wanted it to be but uh, the problem that Sunshine has that I'm specifically referring to is the fact that the game just isn't tuned to be fun for people. No, it's not. And it's... that's the same problem that Splunky has. I see. Yeah, like, Sunshine feels like a challenge to overcome. And challenges can be fun, like Hades is challenging, but specifically this one feels very unforgiving in a we've just set this down for you now complete it and you're supposed to feel more accomplished than like i'm having a good time here well as someone who watched recently watched a friend play like do a 100 clear of mario sunshine for charity like watching that game and i watched jen play it a little bit as well on the 3d collection mm-hmm. and how in sunshine they give you these challenges and it is like you said it is not tuned for those challenges and the controls are generally pretty bad um would you say right. that spelunky 2 has a control problem the same way that um sunshine does or is it more of a general design problem i think it's honestly it's a design problem i think it's um there are a couple of things going on here um, one is, I think it suffers from a problem that occasionally happens to sequel, sequels, excuse me, where they're made by a developer who, like, who made a game that was hard, right? And then people mastered that game. And so they created their sequel, and they're like, okay, I'm going to start out from the point of, like, as though yesterday you finished a, like, uh, an eggplant run through hell of Spelunky 1. That's the difficulty level I'm starting at, right? Jesus. And it's like, no, that you're you, at that point, you are serving such a small percentage of people. And um, so I think the difficulty is just tuned up too high. And then also, I feel like, I mean, there are new like power ups and stuff, but they have not really added new verbs to the game, basically. Right. Like without any upgrades your character plays exactly like they did in Spelunky 1. There is nothing new. The hitboxes are all the same, right? Mm-hmm. But even just in the first area, there are immediately so many more challenges to face, some of which are unbelievably punishing. I think the biggest, it really feels odd that I can point this down to one specific thing so well, but the biggest problem with that first area is a new enemy called the Horned Lizard which is an enemy that like walks around. It has a lot of health. And if it sees you, it curls up into a ball and rolls across the stage really fast. If it hits you, I think it does two damage, which is like, okay, that's half of your health by default, but it also stuns you and knocks you back so that it will hit you again and again and again, basically until you die. Like basically if you get hit by one of those, unless you have a weird ricochet, you will die. Yeah, I feel like the occasions when I survive that is when I'm right near a ledge, so the Horned Lizard goes down several floors. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you get knocked a weird way, and hopefully you don't bounce into any other traps and somehow you escape. 
Um, and like one of the so like one of the earliest things, one of the one of the first moments I had where I was like, okay, this isn't just harder, this is wrong, is when I was like, okay, so there are these horned lizards, and there was like one of them blocking the way down. Right, there was no way for me to get down without passing in front of its face and it would attack, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, how do I do this? They're not, I can't like, uh, with like arrow traps in this game, you can you can drop an ob- a rock or something in front of them and they go off, right? Because it's just a dumb trap. It senses motion, it fires. Um, this is an animal, it's not going to do that. If I drop a rock, it's not going to care. So what I need to do is I need to like go, like drop in front of its vision and then go past it. So it rolls past me and misses, right? I need to fall down and like grab the ledge and it'll roll over my head. That doesn't work. When it rolls over you, there's a vacuum effect and it pulls you up into the lizard's hitbox and you die. Oh. And so it's a it's a situation where like okay, either you have a shotgun or you just kind of die. Um and that's 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 one like big issue I have is that enemy is really such a big problem, but it's sort of indicative of a larger design philosophy where the core systems of Spelunky haven't changed, but they pi- but so many new things have been piled in that it's at a breaking point. Another example would be a problem with Spelunky has always been that the game is designed so that anything that happens is assumed to be the player's fault, right? Mm-hmm. And generally, it is the player's fault, so that's fine. Like sometimes you have situations where, like you, you hit an enemy and they fall, and they fall into a trap, and they get knocked into a barrel, and the barrel explodes, and it damages the shop, and the shopkeeper gets mad. And you're like, okay, that's a that doesn't seem super fair, but like it is in a way caused by my action, right? But like I had a run that went bad because um, <laughs> the game spawned a shop. And then spawned a caveman outside of it. And here's the thing that cavemen will do in this game that I don't think they did in the first one. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. They will just pick up anything they walk across. And so uh, the level started. I was not even on screen where these where these where these two were. Caveman walked to the store, picked up an item, walked out, and the shopkeeper yelled, "Thief!" ran over to me and shot me in the face. Huh. Okay. And it's it's a lot of stuff like that, right? Or like um I got a um I I uh rescued a uh another character. You can sort of rescue like NPC, they're called helping hands, they were in one as well. Um and then I advanced to the next area and that uh NPC immediately ran away from me and set off a massive lava trap that killed us both. I've seen that happen a few times on people's uh, Twitter clips. Like, I I think that people are sharing this game a whole lot less than they did with the original Spelunky, even though it's easier than ever to share that stuff when Spelunky launched on the original Xbox Live Arcade and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. I I think it's a lot of this stuff that feels really, like, the first time you see it, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. And then... Um, but that happened in Spelunky, right? Like the first time you got shot by an arrow trap or the first time you were in hell and you tried to rescue a damsel and it was actually a shape-shifting demon or whatever, right? Like stuff that happened that you were like, wait, what? Um, uh, you try to head stomp an imp and the imp has horns on its head and so you head stomp the horns and you hurt yourself and you died. Um, but 
In Spelunky 1, when you discovered those things, then you could be like, okay, let me figure out the way around this, right? Let me figure out the counterplay. And it feels like really often in Spelunky 2, the answer is you don't have any counterplay. I don't know what to do about the fact that the AI decides to anger the shopkeeper and murder me. I can't stop them from doing that. I don't know what to do about the fact that sometimes there's just a horned lizard blocking the path. I can't stop the game from spawning it. And I can't do anything to set the horned lizard off that doesn't put me in danger of immediately dying. That sounds like a pretty frustrating place to be in. It is, and I was really, I mean, like... You two know, I was really excited for this game. I think a lot of people were excited by Spelunky 2 because, like, Spelunky has a very passionate following, but it just seems like, it seems like the people's response to this is just, like, wanting to go back to Spelunky 1 because... Yeah, yeah. And appreciating Spelunky 1 and because Spelunky 2 just isn't living up to either not living up to expectations or just flat out failing at what it's trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate. Um, I, there's actually a really great article um, by Patrick Klepek on like how he fell in love with Hades and thought like Spelunky two was going to be his game Mm -hmm. and discovered like, no, Hades is a better roguelike. And, um, uh, there is a there is a groundswell for Hades. Mm-hmm. Like every like every so often on Twitter, I just see people's completed runs, like statistics and like moments from the game. Yeah, and it's having something of its own Helltaker situation where people are just doing nonstop fan art of these characters, and uh, it's it's. It's impressive that it's gotten to that point because it's a $25 game while Helltaker was a free game. But, uh, yeah, people are in love with those characters and the world and the way that... I don't know. I I feel like Hades does a much better job of, like, making you feel good about taking risks and either the risks paying off or it blowing up in your face. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, there's one cool mechanic in Hades that I really like, which is the list of prophecies, where you fulfill certain objectives within the game, and it gives you bonuses and rewards. And one of them is basically taking, like, you want to take every boon, avail- like, offered by a particular god, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And you see that in the list of, like, when you get the list of boons you see that it's a faded prophecy, meaning that it is something that you haven't taken yet. So there are times in which I will be on a run and I will take a boon that may not be the most optimal play, but it'll be the most interesting play and also it'll reward me for it. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. That's a really clever way to like encourage players to mess around with the systems. Yeah, a lot of it is geared around getting you out of your comfort zone, and we've we've talked about Hades before, and I've mentioned this before, but the way that it often was like, okay, we'll give you a gem bonus if you choose this weapon for this run, and it was almost always the weapon that, at that time, I decided in my head, okay, this is the worst weapon in the game, but 
I ended up getting far I ended up getting further with it than I had in any of my previous runs with the weapons that I thought were the ideal ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, actually, um before before I ask what you've been up to, Jen, I do want to um talk briefly about a game that I picked up for coverage a little while back, um, two months ago at this point almost. Um, and then ended up not not covering very much because I really hated it. Um, another roguelike. I picked up Rogue Legacy 2. Um, oh, right. Yeah. And I, I just... Sorry, I just remember liking Rogue Legacy 1. Like, mm-hmm. a, I wouldn't say it was my favorite game, but I did enjoy listening to podcasts while playing it. So, what was wrong with Rogue Legacy 2? Um, I mean, the short answer is it's an ableist, bigoted game. Okay, that's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I think I think the original Rogue Legacy was a game that, um, like, at the time it came out, like, it wasn't the best playing game, but it was fine, right? It was fine enough. It was mm-hmm. fine for what it is was. Right, it was mostly like the the gameplay was mostly a a way for its like its like you know family mechanics to play out, right? Um, it was a sort of a, like, it, it felt like a kind of loose, not very tight, like Castlevania style metroidvania e game in its, its roguelike play. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rogue Legacy 2, first of all, from a gameplay perspective, pretty much plays exactly the same. Um, and I think for the time that has passed, I think the degree to which it has not advanced is, is a problem. Um, but a much bigger problem is, um... I know it had some of this stuff back then, but it leans in way harder. And also we're in a different time, right? It's 2020 and uh, having a game, which like one of the very first things that happens is like you unlock the the tech tree. And one of the first things is like, oh, do you want to have like universal health care? And you're like, okay, that's a weird thing to have on a tech tree. But yes, yes, I want universal health care. And then the game pops up a message that is, like, I'm paraphrasing, but only because I don't remember the exact words. I am representing their tone. Like, mm, the kingdom has decided to pay people for being cripples. That's rough. I don't know about that one. And you're like, what the fuck, man? What? Um, and then it's like, fuck okay, that. now you get, like, gold bonuses for playing characters who are like, oh, this person's dyslexic, and now all the text is backwards. And it's just like every... Every character is a joke about a disability, um, and it fucking sucks a lot, man. There's yeah. like a there's like a chronic fatigue syndrome one where it's like, oh, you're just so tired all the time. It's just like, hey, asshole. <laughs> like yeah, that's bunch there of, are there are people who live with that actual disease, and that's the case with basically everything in this game. I mean, you know, there are some where it's like, oh, synesthesia, and it's like. By the accounts of people I've spoken to who have synesthesia, they don't usually find it that unpleasant. And the way it's represented is like, okay, there are colors when there are sounds. It's like, okay, that's fine. But most of them's like, oh, this person has like, like, you know, like digestive tract problems, so they fart all the time. Ha ha ha. And it's like, bunch of fucking like perfectly healthy white boys sat around and made this game, and it makes me so mad. It's that so sucks. shitty. That sucks. <laughs> um, so I really, I really am very strongly against Rogue Legacy Two. I found it like legitimately hateful. Yeah, 
That that reminds me of <laughs> that that reminds me of a game I played like a few years ago that was like, oh, it's this pixel art sort of Metroidvania adventure, but characters keep talking and even though the protagonist is trans and stuff like that, they it very clearly becomes obvious that, oh, this is written by a person who was really big into Gamergate. Oh shit, okay. There's mm. There's just something about those kinds of games where you play them for long enough and the stench of these people's ideas eventually gets through to the point where it's like, oh, whoever made this was a fucking asshole. I don't want to play this anymore. Isn't it amazing that these people who are like, man, we need to keep politics out of games often have some of the loudest politics in their games? (laughs) Yeah, some of the loudest, shittiest politics. Uh, For sure. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Jen, I don't think I can probably link you into our roguelike theme, so what have you been playing? Well, there's a slight randomization effort to what I eventually ended up finishing the first half of. Slots. uh, Which is... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yep, going back. I've just gone gone deep. No whammies, baby. (laughs) But yeah, I, I've been playing the Resident Evil 2 remake, and uh, uh, yes. it's. I'm still kind of feeling pretty proud of myself for that because I finished a horror game, and even though I said the first half credits rolled and stuff like that, and I'm still trying to go back to it, but also, like, it's so rare for me to finish horror games that are actually scary just because. Even though I love them, I love their systems, I love the worlds they present and stuff like that, I just have a mental block sometimes when I'm trying to get through something scary in terms of, like, I why am I pushing forward when I can just press the pause button and quit out of this? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, the, thing, the thing that's actually interesting about Resident Evil 2, aside from how gorgeous it is and how intricate, and how basically... It's so effective at being scary, especially when Mr. X gets introduced in terms of him following you around, but also seeming to be on his own path. Like, Mm -hmm. I posted a video of um, me rounding a corner and scuffling back a little bit because (laughs) Mr. X just just passed through the hallway and went to a door I was facing and just went about his own business. And then I didn't see him for another 20 to 30 minutes. But, uh, yeah, my understanding of the way it's coded is that, like, there are, like, scripted points in the game where he will show up, but otherwise he is just legitimately pathing around the area. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive what they've done to make it feel fair. And, uh, I think that's a lot of what got me through it, because once you get used to the, the biggest barrier when playing this is once you get, is it takes a while to get used to the idea that, okay, something is going to be chasing me almost all the time or walking around and I can potentially stumble into it. Once you are used to that happening, once you're familiar with that stuff happening, then Resident Evil 2 turns into this intricate puzzle box where you're going to various rooms, collecting keys, solving bizarre things to put in a (laughs) museum-turned-police station. (laughs) And, uh... Making your way through the area, 
seeing everything that this sprawling place has to offer. And it's just such a interesting way to approach a... Especially in 2020 and 2018 when it initially came out. You're pretty much in that police station for almost the entire game, but... It's never uninteresting and you never get bored of it. And the thing that really interested me is after I finished Route A, the thing it does is when you select either Leon or Claire and finish their thing, you unlock a second run with the other character. And it immediately did everything it could to shuffle things up to the point where safe areas that you take for granted like the police station lobby are now completely unsafe there's no there's no typewriter there it's filled with zombies you look at the computer that um your first character looked at just to see a police officer initially and this time mr x is already looking at the camera and <laughs> your character's like oh guess i'm going to have to deal with this person huh <laughs> and oh, that's great yeah, it's it's fascinating to see a game where it's almost, in its way, its own kind of randomizer. Except, obviously, if you played through it again, you would know these solutions again. But in this particular second playthrough, they scatter everything and have you enter the police station from a different route entirely. So, it's kind of like, okay... I'm going to all the same places, but I have all new puzzles to solve to get there and am going in a completely different order than what my brain got used to. And there's something so magnificent about seeing something like that in such a small yet sprawling space. Speaking of uh, weird uh, first, like weird, like obscure names for mechanics, uh, did they bring back the zapping system? Um, they have an item box. I don't think they call it a zapping system. Well, the way the zapping system worked in, in the original two was that if you looted items, they would not be there when you played through as the other character. And so when you were playing through, if you saw a box of ammo and you were like, I'm okay on ammo, you went, I should leave that there for Claire. It doesn't work quite like that here because one of the main mechanics in this is uh, like a dynamic difficulty system where right, every right. time you're walking into an area, the game is taking a look at how much damage you've taken, how much damage you've done to the zombies, even how, ma how many bullets you have with your for a specific gun. And from there, it'll either be more or less plentiful with the items it gives you. Yeah, we watched a Resident Evil 2 remake speedrun. Um, I think it was the GDQX 2019, or not 2019 run. Mm -hmm. that, And um, the speedrunner actually did like some moves where like they emptied a clip into nothing. And they said like, oh, this is me modifying the, the difficulty like rating huh. like in the game by like intentionally updating their clip by not picking up certain items they were able to manipulate like drops and um enemy behavior it was really fascinating that's and, neat yeah and i think like 
I love dynamic difficulty. Like Max Payne, I, hell yeah. <laughs> I think you could do I think like if you do it right, you know, it's an invisible system, but I think it was it was really cool to see it manipulated like in a run like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that sort of manipulation is like approaching a game like this in that way goes a long way towards making me more comfortable with horror games because like the turning point for me with horror movies when I started enjoying them is just getting into like, oh, that was a really cool gory effect. I wonder how they did that. And treating a game like Resident Evil 2 as like a puzzle box of, oh, this the way that they structured this, I can tell how much work they put into getting this exact scene right. Like, somewhat distancing myself purposefully. Um, makes it a lot easier to get through it, though. As Kyrie can attest, I still did a lot of goofy-style screaming when I got caught by Mr. X and punched right in the face. <laughs> I, I would just, I would just be like, lying in bed, watching, like, a video or whatever, and I would just hear Jed go, ah! 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 <laughs> and other various noises in response to the game. I was like, sweetie, are you okay? <laughs> I burned my hand on the M- Mr. X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can see how also people really get into the modding scene for this game, because I imagine... Being chased around by the Pillsbury Doughboy is a lot less scary than the actual Mr. X. My favorite one is still to this day that they modified Mr. X's music to be X gonna give it to you, and, <laughs> and it had dynamic volume. <laughs> so that when he was far away, you just heard the muffled sounds of X gonna give it to you. In the, if you're gonna do that, you gotta change. You gotta. You gotta. Mr. X doesn't really make sounds very much, um, but you gotta give him the DMX what what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, that'd be great. Uh, I'm not um, gonna try and do it. I would. I would. There's absolutely no way I would do it justice. Um, yeah. But so, actually, uh, interesting, interesting segue I have. I want to talk about one more game, if I may, um, that I haven't told either of you I was playing and probably you don't know exists. Oh, um, and this is a link to I know uh, every game. I know really? every game that existed. So you have played a democratic socialism simulator. Oh, is that by, uh... Mall Industria. Yes, it is. Okay, Jen knows about it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I follow was just the testing Jen. <laughs> I follow the create on. I followed the create on Twitter. So yeah, yeah. So this is a um, this is a uh, phone game with uh, I actually think generally pretty good uh, politics. Though I I want to get into that because that's what makes it interesting. Um, it is a game in the style of uh, Reigns, very much like Swipe Life, right, right or Left for Decisions, uh, where you are playing as America's first socialist president. And gosh, this game's really, this game's really interesting. And I, I, I think it's good. I like the art style. I think the writing is fairly clever. I do think there are ways in which it is kind of naive. 
That's interesting to hear because, again, I've been following the games that this person has been putting out for the ne- for the past decade or so, and I would not call him a very optimistic writer. It's it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe like it could very much be that this is a game that is intended to sort of like like jazz people up right like i don't know to what degree this is meant to be like this is how i think it would go versus listen this is very idealistic but we need to feel passionate about this stuff um so basically it uses a lot of the same systems as reigns um you have uh you swipe left or right you have various people coming at you with like situations that are randomly generated per run though from you know from like a set obviously um and uh, you have different meters to manage. You have uh, you, how much control you have in Congress for your party. Uh, you have uh, like how much uh, money you have, your budget. You have uh, how much power that people have, like how, how good a job you're doing of basically being socialist. And then also you have uh, like economic impact because your goals, um, the, the, the goals of the game, the two meters, you want to get... Although it starts at zero, you want to get all the way to the bottom of the power of the people. And then it starts at the top and you want to get all the way to the bottom, uh, like, environmental impact, right? Mm-hmm. And that is immediately this one way in which it uh, it is, you know, they, they say themselves, like, hey, this is inspired by range. You know, range, this is like that. They're not pretending otherwise. Um, but one way in which it differs from range is range is very much like sort of a dark comedy where... It is bad for meters to be emptied or filled, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you get too popular, you die in rains, which is absurd. Right. Um, like, I believe the ending very often when you die from being too popular is like, everyone loves you so much they tear you to pieces. And you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that doesn't happen here. If a, if a meter goes too high, that's just a good thing, right? Um, they're not trying to be absurdist necessarily in that way. Um but it's interesting to see like how so both games that i ran i i i've i've done okay i've done three playthroughs actually um and one of them i was just trying to die because um the first two playthroughs went so bizarrely well both of them i managed to get reelected and then died a little ways into or no, one of them I died. One of them I just finished out my my both my terms and was like a beloved president. One of them I got assassinated by a white supremacist. Oh, I mean, listen, I was, I was, <laughs> I was, and here's the thing: is like, I was careful as far as like my budget, right? Like sometimes I'd be, I would be talking, and my advisor would be like, "This is a good idea," and I'd be like, "You're right, but we don't have the money right now, right?" But other than that, I was literally never bipartisan. There was never a point where a lobbyist came to me or a conservative came to me and said, we should do this thing that I like. Every single time I said, go fuck yourself. And it, to me, like, it felt great, but it felt like like a, a different sort of power fantasy for that to be even remotely viable. Yeah, like, I feel like a president like that would never even come close to election. There's, there's too many... There's too many forces in play within our <laughs> within our establishment Democrat situation where they're like, this does not in, this does not 
this does not help my bank account, so I'm going to do my best to make sure this fucker doesn't get elected. The way that uh, everyone kind of ended up pulling in, I mean, all the other Democratic candidates ended up folding and being like, oh, I'm going for Biden until Mm -hmm. Bernie had to drop out too. Well, and it's, I mean, there's a little bit of, um, to talk about, about modern politics. I mean, the game starts with the assumption that you have been elected, right? Um, and there was a moment, um, I, I extremely don't want to talk too much about our current, uh, candidates because, uh, fuck both of them, but there Uh was a moment where during the debate, um, uh, the sitting president said something about, well, that's not the policy of your party, Right. And the Democratic candidate said, the policy of my party is what I say it is, because as the candidate for president, I am the leader of the party. And that's true. That's Mm -hmm. how this works. That doesn't mean there's not going to be pushback. It doesn't mean there isn't going to be heavy pushback. But if you're like, okay, you have already been elected president, there is a degree to which you can mandate the the direction of the party, right? Yeah. Um, But the idea that I would be able to go for six years... When let's see in that in that one where I got assassinated, what did I do? I um I established five different taxes on the wealthy, including uh, I did a state tax, I did uh like uh like a hoarding wealth tax, I uh started like doing um a bunch of like uh trade agreements and stuff with with um tax havens to make them like no don't be tax havens don't let our billionaires do that, um. I I was just brutal to the rich, um, and uh, I I did like equal rights. I basically put everyone in the country on on like free health care, and I put them all in a union. Uh, I got I switched everyone to solar power and wind power. Like it was bananas the things I achieved. Yeah, and like especially that last one. Any sort of environmental plan always ends up needing to go for at least 15 to 20 years to actually get implemented, at which point anyone can succeed you and completely throw it out. Sure. And I mean, you know, the the ones the one like I didn't get emissions down to the to the goal. Um, partially because I didn't survive that run. <laughs> um, but like. <laughs> It is hard to like the, the the game's goals are hard to achieve. The time where I did complete the game, I got power to the people all the way up. I did not get emissions all the way down. Um, but it was like you're you know you're remembered as like a beloved president, and you left very popular. So probably we're gonna get another you know left candidate after you. Um, so I think within its own fiction, it works like as a game. It's just very strange in this time, and maybe this maybe it's something that we need, right? Like, it is very easy to be gloom and doom as a leftist right now because we're living in gloom and doom, right? Like, it's yeah, you're not no being kidding. a pessimist; you're looking out the fucking window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shit. Um. But there is, uh, there. I maybe there is something to this. Like, hey, listen, like, this isn't realistic. But like, 
imagine if we could actually pull this off and like don't take this as like something that like is a is a guide for how we should do things but like hey doesn't this feel good doesn't this energize you about like yeah no we do have the right ideas i don't know it's i'm 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 very interested to to like i should look at the um the developer and and see what their thoughts behind making this were because as i say it does strike me like just on its face as this incredibly optimistic and, and kind of naive game in a way that's that's odd for a left piece of work. It's, it's also worth mentioning that uh, Mall Industria is a um, Italian game developer, so I feel like other developers that are outside of the United States maybe have a maybe have a rosier or maybe have a more optimistic view of what uh, we can accomplish on the left side. Hmm. In terms of just like, I don't know. I, I feel like you look at countries like uh, France where they're, or Italy where it feels like they've made pretty big strides in terms of either kicking out the fascists or getting more work rights and things like that. That um, I could see them taking a look at a country like America and being like, hey, maybe we could figure out how to... Like, maybe they have a more optimistic view of people here than I currently do. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. And I, it is it is interesting, like, the especially the one where I was successful, right? The one where I managed to make it to the end of my, my two terms. I was looking at sort of the the way I changed the country, and I was like, I basically created Sweden, <laughs> uh, which is great. God, I wish, I wish, but it's like, you know, I guess like it's not like the things I'm doing seem impossible for humans to achieve. It's just they seem impossible for the United States to achieve. Yeah. Um. But one of my favorite things is that, like, um, kind of like Reigns, uh, there are recurring characters. And uh, one of my favorite recurring characters is the defense advisor, who is this, like, bald eagle in, like, a, a military uniform. And basically, the, the great thing about him is he just shows up to be like, hey, can I get another five trillion for this airplane? And you just say no and gain a ton of money to your budget every time. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, uh, hey, how about uh, we're going to start a space force? We don't know what it does. And you just hit cut and you gain like $5 trillion. It's the best. I love him. That's pretty That's pretty good. Um, though one time he did come to me with a good idea. He was like, hey, listen, I know we've had our differences, which was a very nice way of saying I've literally told you no and cut your, cut your budget every time we've spoken. <laughs> um, but he's like... But how about we work on benefits for veterans? I'm like, okay, I can do that one. That's fair. <laughs> that's a that's a fair one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it also is it is I do appreciate that one of the things is with like control of Congress, there is um I mean I guess that's the other thing, right? Is this game starts with you having a um like it represents it as like a six segment um bar. So four out of six members of congress in this you know again weird abstraction but like four six of congress is my party which like yeah okay yeah i guess i guess in that circumstance i probably could get a fucking lot done (laughs) 
Um, and even then, there are things where, like, it says, like, okay, to get this done, you need, like, this much, you know, control of Congress, right? And there were times where it was like, okay, after my reelection and stuff, I'm down to, uh, I'm down to like basically 50-50 control of Congress. And there's some stuff I can get done because I can get enough like across the board appeal. But there was plenty of stuff where I'm like, this is a great idea. They're never going to let me do it. And I had to say like, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Maybe I'll be more popular. Maybe, maybe we'll gain some seats. Right now we can't do it. And I thought that was a good touch. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I think um, it's three dollars on Steam. I played it on phone. I don't remember if it was free or if it cost money on phone. If it cost money on phone, it was very cheap. Um, whatever. I I I think it's at the very least it's worth checking out. I think I think the level of optimism is nice, and also the writing can be very clever. Um, having it it is it is very kind of them to portray um everyone is portrayed as animals right um mm-hmm. it is very kind of them to portray donkeys at, or the, 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 to portray the democrats as like perpetually anxious donkeys that's not true that's a very yeah. very kind portrayal of them <laughs> yes. um but it is also to is also really fun to have like the like fucking like Maoist panther and stuff. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it is two ninety nine on the Android store. Okay, it's probably two ninety nine everywhere then. Uh, also, God bless the Beaver Union leader. He's great. That's pretty good. Uh, I can tell you something that isn't pretty good. Oh. What? Super Mario Brothers thirty five. Damn, you're gonna do Mario like this, huh? It's his birthday. It is his birthday. I'm gonna fucking call him out. <laughs> you're like, here's your cake, and then you take a dump on it. That's edgy, right there. <laughs> uh, I don't have much to say except Super Mario Brothers 35 isn't very good. Yeah, like I've watched a bit of footage from it, and it seems like, well. There's an interesting idea behind a bunch of people trying to play Super Mario Brothers at the same time and affecting each other's game. But, like, I watched the Giant Bomb Quick Look, and at some point it just became a... like a slog to the finish in terms of just like, okay, so we're gonna keep going back to 1-1, and we're gonna just keep collecting all these coins and spamming a power-up that keeps us alive, and it's like... I think I feel like battle royale games at their best, especially ones that are making remaking older games like uh, Bomberman or Tetris. They take the those games were already kind of quick, but then they take them and make them even quicker to the point where you'll usually only play for like three to four minutes before you end up getting eliminated or you win. While this game of mario 35 seemed like it lasted forever (laughs) yeah like five to six minutes it was like a game can last five to six minutes of just you running through world one one like for the 50th time collecting coins and having enemies pour in but it doesn't matter as long as you take it slow and you have the fireball power up like that's it you just cleared through the room mario 35 times longer than it needs to be 
Yeah. <laughs> High five. Ship it. <laughs> yeah. Just play Tetris 99 again. You have access to Tetris 99. Just play that. But what if I wanted Tetris 99 to be Mario? Wait, there's probably a there's probably a Mario theme in Tetris 99 actually. There's a Luigi's Mansion theme. Oh, better. Better. Mm-hmm. You when you clear the a line, brother. Luigi the like like sucks off a ghost. What? <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> But yeah, I just wanted to quickly get my jab in there. It's, I don't think it's very good. I'm glad that it's going after March. Fair enough. You don't think there's hope that they'll they'll redeem it? I mean, I just think maybe the base idea isn't very good. Like, I don't, like, it's ostensibly a single-player game. And they're trying to, like, put these multiplayer mechanics on top of it. And I just don't think it works. I think it's, like, by the point it gets, like, chaotic and messy in a fun way, you've been in a match for, like, five to six minutes. And it doesn't really have that ebb and flow of intensity the same way that Tetris 99 has or a Battle Royale game has. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Uh, by the way, I I looked at uh, uh, Paolo uh, Pedersini, uh, who I think is probably the the person you follow, Jen, the uh, uh-huh. the uh, person behind uh, studio and and uh, Democratic Socialist Simulator, um, and one of his uh, recent tweets. Uh, one of his recent tweets is, I still can't believe both Adobe Flash and American Democracy will reach end of life by the end of 2020. So, yes, you're right. Maybe not overall optimistic. <laughs> not as optimistic <laughs> yeah. as the game he decided to make. Uh, follow-up tweet. I mean, I understand they are obsolete and pose huge security risks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of a pr- provocateur. Like, um... One of one of their famous games was Phone Story, which was about um, it was an iOS game about working in a sweatshop to produce an iPhone, and it made the news when the App Store almost immediately removed it, being like, "Hell no!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I don't really have anything else. I have been playing. Oh, this wouldn't be super long, but I have been playing Star Wars Squadrons, and that space. game is a whole lot of fun. Yeah, space. Space, you got a big old joystick just to play it. Well, yeah. hey, 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 <laughs> this is hey, listen, this is not that kind of podcast. You're the one who brought up sucking off Ghost 6. <laughs> that's, listen, that's family friendly. <laughs> yeah. I ended up getting a replacement joystick because my trusty... Whoa! Hey! (laughs) Whoa! Hey! Sorry, I'll shut up. (laughs) Yeah. My trusty Logitech uh, Extreme 3D something-something, which, as it turns out, like, normally when we talk about accessories, like PC-centric accessories, they'll usually last for, like, five to ten years before they get replaced by something. This has been like the but the budget joystick of choice for going on two decades now. It just no one ever really found a better budget substitute for it. Hmm. 
Anyway, um, I end up losing mine somewhere, and also all of the joystick prices due to um, COVID and the fact that there are two massive, massively popular uh, flight games came out almost one month after the other. Um, people ended up snatching up a lot of the, the joysticks available, so I ended up getting a slightly fancier one with a dedicated throttle, just because, like, if it was going to be around the same price because of, um, upcharging and stuff like that, might as well get the one that seems like it'll last a little bit longer. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to see, it's nice to have a combat flight game that I'm that I'm enjoying in 2020 and also like I feel like Nathan Grayson for Kotaku put it well um it's it's basically the kind of Star Wars game that we got back when LucasArts was a thing like it's not too ambitious it's not incredibly long there's built-in limitations to it like uh EA has said both pre-launch and post-launch hey, this is going to be the game you shouldn't expect a bunch of, or any, really, um, DLC for it. We'll be doing some stuff with seasons and stuff like that, but it's, for the most part, that's just going to be cosmetic stuff, which they don't have any microtransactions or ways to buy currency for that. It's all just you earn through playing the game. It's incredibly limited in scope but it does what it does exceptionally well hmm. which is puts you in an x-wing and a tie fighter and let you have at it and also let's the, the i think the best thing about the game uh i am i am you know have my particular taste but my favorite thing about the game is how incredibly catty the imperial pilots are with each other it's just delightful <laughs> yeah it's they did a great job of selling like no, the, like, the Empire is not exactly cool. They're just a bunch of annoying um, fascists who <laughs> nip at each other's heels and just, just a, talk in the most overbearing way possible. Just a bunch of shitty little rich kids, like, being like, talk it down. <laughs> and then <laughs> the person whose ass you just saved going, I was fine, thank you. <laughs> and you're like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and this also comes through in the campaign, too. Like, the first time you get to talk with your squad mates uh, on, the Empire, on the Empire side, one of them's like, you know, my dad used to be a Republic senator, and Palpatine, you know I would never talk ill about that guy, but, like, he had some weird ideas, and now that he's dead, why don't we reform... I, I feel like it'd be best for the galaxy... If we gave my dad his old powerful job back, please. What if we took this galaxy to the edge, to galaxy's edge? Disneyland, open now. Wear a mask, social distance, and actually don't go to Disneyland. I was kidding. Don't go, please, to, don't, don't go to Disneyland right now. What? Don't. Don't be stupid. Come Listen, on. You know what? You're not stupid. We're saying this because I made the joke and it's like, it seemed like I was leading you in a direction, but you're smart. You know not to do that. <laughs> this has been a PSA from your friendly podcasters at Scanline Media. Not a fan of dying. That's not our favorite Turns thing out. around here. Or getting others sick. 
trying to decide which is yeah i guess getting others sick is worse than dying yeah yeah. Now, if he died and woke up in a pool of blood, and then there's this guy named Hypnos who chides you, now that would be all right. <laughs> hey, Hades <laughs> looking down from his throne, I want that twink obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, folks, it's been great. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have much else to say about Star Wars Squadrons other than they totally throw a Top Gun moment with the Republic where they're like, Hey, I used to be a racer. You want to buzz the tower of the spaceship? And you do, and the people on the bridge are like, Hey, what the fuck? See, I, <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was going to be where you play volleyball or where one of the people is just incredibly obviously gay. <laughs> those are the those are the, my two touchstones from Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine. Obviously, I don't have a problem with that here. But, like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Since since we're keeping up with this, one other thing I'll say is that uh, it's. It's very plainly obvious that it's a VR game that they made, and they realized VR wasn't really taking off, so they quietly uh, taking made off because it it's into... a space game. <laughs> Flying in space. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's impressive that they ended up quietly retrofitting it into like a game you can play on anything, and it turned out really well. Retrofitting though... it like an X-wing. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can stop. Pew, 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 and all that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Ah. Uh. <sighs> well, I think that's that's it for us here. We've got enough manic energy for one episode. Um. You know what, Jen? Why don't you tell people where to find you on the internet? Okay. I'm at JBU3 on Twitter. Uh, most of my stuff is on Patreon.com slash scanline media or scanlinemedia.com you can also catch my visual novel slash adventure game slash storytelling video game podcast uh novel not new a true end podcast at readinggames.online we should probably just call like a story game podcast right yeah story game podcast is a lot more accurate these days even though i do want to keep at least keeping a pretty close eye on visual novels since not a lot of places cover visual novels aside from like the one or two that break into the mainstream every year. Sure, we can do whatever we want. It's just instead of instead of having seven slashes in our description of what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A story game podcast sounds good. Uh Kyrie, where can people find you? You can find me at Kyrie A page on twitter.com. Uh you can also follow me and Jen's uh Danganronpa podcast at You Despaircast, uh, where we talk about Danganronpa, which is another. It's it's there's it's a, a story game energy podcast. It's a story game involving a. a now get this, mm-hmm. get this okay. about a bunch of kids. Okay, that have to murder each other. Wait, why? Uh, because a bear told them to do it. Oh, okay. All right, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. We all know how that uh-huh. is. Yep. That's how it is in 2020. 
Damn. Murderous bears. Yeah, damn. Um, yeah, that's where you'll find that's where you'll find me on the internet. All right, and if you want to find me, uh, you can find my uh, crushed body underneath a horned lizard in 1-3. Uh, <laughs> also, if you want to find, like, my tweets, they're probably also underneath the lizard, but uh, at 6 Detmar on Twitter, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. Um, and uh, friends and folks, until next time, peace out. See ya. Later.